Ho, ho, ho there, rock and rollers, and welcome to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. Coming to you from just off Abbey Road here in London Town under lockdown. That's right. We went into Tier 4 over the weekend, just before Christmas, just what everybody wanted. The good news is the wolf has plenty to pontificate about uh, in this uh, Part 2 of our episode on Steve Hackett and his time in and out of Genesis. We want to thank everybody who downloaded and tuned in to part one. It was our most popular podcast to date very easily, and we thank the folks at Hackett Official for putting out the good tweets, retweets, and likes out there to help get folks interested. That's what Action and I are after. If just one more person discovers Steve Hackett because of this podcast, we feel like we're serving a purpose here. And our conversations, which we would be having anyway, uh, that are now recorded and shared with you, are making some small bit of difference uh, during these troubled times. So we want to go ahead and get back into uh, Steve, some of his records, uh, some of the older ones with Genesis, uh, and some of the new stuff that he's been up to. Uh, but first, we want to talk a little bit uh, about live music, our hope for its eventual return, and something happening right now to kind of take its place. That's live streaming. What role does it play uh, in your life right now while we cannot go out to a club or a theater or an arena or a stadium to see concerts? Uh, we'll talk about that here on The Wolf. <laughs> Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. What do you think about, I mean, hopefully, certainly by this time next year, some people are saying hopefully by the summer, but I don't know, that we'll be able to do live music and, and gather in, in crowds again. And I went ahead and booked tickets for Duran Duran and Hyde Park for the middle of July. I'm like, I don't believe this is going to happen, but just in case it does, I'll just go ahead and make sure we've got a spot. But bands right now are doing some live streaming gigs. I know the Foo Fighters did one that, that was fairly successful. Metallica did one, I think, to help their crew. You know, it was like a benefit to their crew yeah. who's, who can't work because Metallica can't work. And Kiss, of course, is ready to cash in on Kiss 2020 goodbye for only 
$39.95, you can join the boys live from Dubai. And of course, there's even luxury packages, you know, of course, for the KISS fans out there who are used to being shaken down by the boys for everything they can get from them. Have I you think, seen any? I, mean, I think it's good. It's it's got to come back. It has to come back. These Everybody is just, I mean, it, there's the money thing. I get that. People want to make money. But I truly believe these guys, they don't, they, they do it because they have to. They love performing. They love being out on the road. And, and people, I think now, maybe that hadn't been to a show in a while, a couple of years, maybe, I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm, I got to do something. I want to get out. Yeah, I remember going to these shows. So it might even be a boon for a while to get people back out to see live music because it has, it's gone away. I don't think you can, you can't replicate the experience. You just can't That's in, right. a, in a live stream or a DVD or anything like that. Absolutely true. I mean, and the, the communion of human beings, you know, all to the same song. I mean, you know, I've, I've been to the, the Stad Museum in, in Amsterdam and I've looked at the night watch with about 40 or 50 people you know, at the same time, and I was like, wow, look how big it is and how lifelike. And, and uh, compare that to 20,000 people singing a song that you've loved your whole life. It's just not the same. It's, it's, music is the most human of art forms, and you can get most people together through live music. It's the whole experience, too, about how, I mean, you know, you, you drive to wherever you're going to go, or you take the train, or however you're going to get there. Then there you're in the parking lot, and people are hanging around because you can't get in yet, and everybody's yeah. kind of pumped up. And, you Having know, a beer, you know. My thing is, is when you go and you see a band that's, that's a kind of multi-generational, so you see the old people there, and they've got their shirts on from, like, 1978, like, oh, man, you guys are crusty, but you're cool. And then, you know, you see the young kids who are just getting into it, and then, yeah, you get into the stadium, but you haven't started yet. You're like, oh, look, there's the stage. Wow, you know. And then they start into it. Yeah, you're right. Everybody, you know, for that two hours and a half or three hours, whatever, everybody's just, you kind of forget about everything that's happening. Everybody's together. Everybody's singing the same songs. And, yeah, it really is a communal experience. Obviously, we all want it back. And I do think you're right. As soon as people realize I could lose this, people who said, yeah, I'm not going to go to that show, or eh, not this year, you know, I, I think, you know, bands will sell out and, and that'll be great, you know, and hopefully it'll be great for, for rock and roll. But have you seen any of the, the live streams? I saw, um, I saw some of the Metallica stream mm-hmm. and I saw them, I saw what they did there and I saw what they did on the Howard Stern show. And they, I mean, they, they're just on a whole nother level. They got it worked out. They've got a like a compound in San, up near San Francisco. Right. Like it looks like a really cool garage. Headquarters. They, just, they go there and yeah, they rehearse. Because I don't think I, I know uh, James lives in Colorado. I think now. Oh, does he? Uh, so they're all yeah, they're all spread out. So they come back to I guess the clubhouse mm-hmm. and get together and work out songs. And yeah, that was really cool. Um, and I'm trying to think if there was somebody else that I saw too. You mentioned you watched the Liam Gallagher one. Mm-hmm. Was that decent? How was that? It was actually really cool because they filmed it. They basically got on a barge and they got on the Thames and they rode up the Thames for a little, you know, an hour and a half or whatever it was. Uh, and there were no other boats out there except for one who was kind of filming, you know, kind of trailing them or, you know, to the side filming. And uh, they started before sunset, uh, which is kind of cool. Must have been wicked cold down there that evening, but it was it was great. Now my internet wasn't great on it, so we didn't watch on the big TV because it kept like 
pausing and stuff. So we watched it on the, uh, not the iPhone, but the iPad. That's what it is. And it was cool, you know, and, and it, it, they started with Hello, which is a, a great, I think it's the way they ought to start every Oasis show and every No Gallagher and Liam Gallagher show. It's a great way to start. It's how they started their best album. But he also did Fade Away, which I love. It's an old Oasis song. I think it's a B-side. And they said that and Hello. Plus Head Shrinker, he played all three of those Oasis songs. He's never played them as Liam before. He, he hadn't played them since he left the band. Oh, interesting. Since, well, since Noel left the band. But since the band broke up. And he played, a, a, he didn't do the whole Champagne Supernova, but he did some of it. He debuted a song, a live debut of All You're Dreaming Of. I guess he's never said that one before. He did Morning Glory. He did uh, Columbia. And I like his song, Wall of Glass. I mean, I, it was cool. Now, he had a bunch of people up there on stage with him. He had two guitar players. I think the bassist sometimes was a third guitar player. He had a guy on keys, backup singers. I know he had at least one drummer. I don't know if there was a reserve or not, but still, it, it was cool. And they went by, they went under Tower Bridge, you know, and they went by the eye at the end. And Liam was like, so he hates the thing, I guess. He goes, look at you, don't care about you. Big circle all let up. You know, it was so funny. Well, that's, it. You gotta, that's what you gotta love him. He does, he's not, very uncensored. If it's on his mind, he'll tell you how he feels. No, man, I guess I guess Brian Adams recently said, hey, I'm going to tour, and he put the word out, and, you know, he tweeted it out or whatever, and they were like, you know, a thousand likes or whatever. And then <laughs> Liam retweeted something nasty, you know, like, who cares, or what a douche, or something like that. Oh. And he had like 4,000 likes or something like that. <laughs> like, that's the world we live in now, isn't it? You know, but that's also Liam. But I, you know, I, mean, I wouldn't say that about Brian Epps. Well, it's okay. So the Liam Gallagher show was, you said everybody was together, right? They were on a boat. They all, the band was together. That's right. Okay, so. I saw two things. They were company-sponsored deals, so not my cup of tea, but one of them was uh, Train, the band Train, mm -hmm. and then the other one was, what's his name, uh, Rob Thomas. Okay. And the interesting thing was, on those two shows, nobody was together. They were all they were all in separate locations. And the point I'm making on this one is that even though they were different in different places, the technology now is so sophisticated that it, it they can make it sound there's no delay. There was no, hey, I'm sorry, I missed that. And, it, mm -hmm. and they sounded like they were all together. That's cool. The performance was good, and they didn't even have to be together anymore. So I think that's that's a one of the um, this whole situation is unfortunate, but that's one of the cool things that came out of it is is everything is more accessible, full streaming. And the other cool mm -hmm. thing too is I was talking about Howard Stern before that whole world has changed too. You want to talk to Elton John? Boom, here he is. We can get him tomorrow. Right, wherever he is, doesn't matter. He's on a yacht in the Mediterranean. Great, we'll have him tomorrow. And apparently, <laughs> he's got Stern has got this crew of people that they go in and they make, they check everything. They make sure that you know your mics work. You know, you've got this. Yeah, so it's I mean, it's perfect every time, That's and nice. it just gives you that wider breadth of you don't have to wait till the person's in New York and oh, I schedule this and I want to get up. Or, who cares? Just roll out of bed, jump in front of your laptop, and boom, you got it. <laughs> Back to Steve Hackett. I was so fortunate to have seen him in the front row in Cleveland, really just after discovering him. I, I watched the Some of All Parts video, and I listened to Every Day, and then I got some of his records, and it just so happened he was touring on the Wolf Light Tour at that point and was lucky enough to not only be able to get tickets, but to get front row right up front to see him, to see all the band, and it was amazing. I received a special souvenir from a security guard there after the show, 
my wife and I were leaving, and the security guard kind of walked up to me uh, and said, hey, you, you were singing along to a lot of the songs. You're a really big Steve Hackett fan, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, you know, I think he's great. And he said, here you go. And he handed me the set list that they give security so you know what song they're on and how far they have to go. And maybe, all right, if it's been a few songs, maybe we need to do a sweep or look out here. So that was pretty neat. That's in my ticket book and souvenir book back home. And that year of discovery, it just made me realize, it made me upset to think that so few rock fans in America really know who Steve Hackett is. Yes, lots of people do, and he does tour well. He still sells records there. Yes, lots of people are familiar with his work in Old Genesis. But the vast majority of people are not. One of the most interesting things we heard as far as feedback goes on part one of our podcast was not so many people didn't know who Steve Hackett was, is that they didn't realize that there was a Genesis before Phil Collins was the singer. So there's still a lot of work left to do out there and a lot of word to spread. I know that Steve Hackett is underrated in America. So if I can just convince a few people... <laughs> To go listen to some of his stuff and give him some respect, I think it's worth my time. You know what I'd love to have on the show is Roger King. Roger has been like his producer and his piano player for, you know, over the last decade now. And he's a big part of Steve's success as far as all these records that he's made and all these tours that he's done. He's doing really well. Very sharp guy. Like I said, I try to support, as soon as I found out who he was, I wanted to support Steve. And so I always will get the deluxe version of everything. So whether it's a Wolf Light, which is a record he put out in 2015, or it's one of his live albums, if there's a deluxe with a DVD, I'll pick it up so I can see what they're doing in the studio. And the studio is basically his house. Um, somewhere in Western London, they're just kind of like in his living room, right? The computer's set up, the speaker's set up, Steve's got his guitar and his amp rigged together, and Roger will record it, you know, and then they'll have, they'll have a flautist come in, they'll have a backup singer come in, they'll have a violinist come in and, and play with them, and they're putting this record together. It's pretty neat. So I think that Roger would be a really interesting interview. And I think that also a big positive thing for Steve is Joe, his wife, who he's, they've just gotten together. Is it the last 10 or 15 years, something like that, but been a, what I understand, a very positive influence in his life uh, and on his career. It helps out in a big way. I think she runs his Twitter account, so I appreciate her retweeting us and liking a couple of our tweets. Absolutely. And uh, some of the media, I know she takes a lot of pictures and helps with the recording, a lot of the stuff they do on the album. Speaking of which, he has a, a new acoustic album coming out in early January, 22nd, if I'm not mistaken, 22nd, 23rd. It's called Under the Mediterranean Sky, and it's inspired by all the traveling they did around the Mediterranean, and you know, obviously, we could actually do something like that. You know, in Africa, on the Greek islands, you know, uh, around Europe, and yeah, I tweeted out because there is a special blue vinyl edition that comes with an autographed CD, and he was on the Andalusian Sea was, I guess, the first song off there, and I put out a video. He, he put it out, and I retweeted it myself, and uh, and they they said thanks. Yeah, I liked it. I encourage people to listen to it, but I, I will have to review that, Gary. So you're gonna have to listen to that one as well. But comes out i would love to i would i would love to and I, I think it would be cool to that's also a, a kind of a cool thing for me too when you hear somebody who does thing a and then they say you know what i i want to branch out and i want to do something else now i understand acoustic to electric guitar is not that big of a jump it's not like he's playing the harpsichord or something i right. get it but it is cool to hear something different and especially somebody who is an artist and so they're inspired to do something like you, you were obviously in the Mediterranean traveling around. You say, Oh, this, I read a song about this. This makes me feel this way. I can't do that. I wish <laughs> I could. You wish you could, That's right. you know, just pull out the guitar, but we can't. 
So I have to appreciate somebody who can do that. That's so right. thank you very much for making music that we can appreciate. And we will do whatever we can to spread the word on it. And, and people, you know, say, where do, we, where do you start? Look, he has an album out that's out this year because the last tour last year focused on Selling England by the Pound, which is in most people's estimation the greatest album Genesis ever did. And Spectral Mornings, which is in my estimation my favorite Steve Hackett record. And yes, it includes the song Every Day, which is an obvious hit to me. Now obviously he never had hits in America, wouldn't get on the radio, it's a little long I guess, and the subject matter is a little dark. If you listen to it, he's singing about his model girlfriend who could not put down her heroin, and it eventually killed her. And that's a horrible tragedy. But the song that came out of it is extraordinary. I like the, I like the track Special Mornings. And it's not it's not a vocal track, no. but it's got a real, like, it, it starts off a little slow, but the hook in it is just fantastic. And that, to me, is what I love, is, the, is that killer hook in there. And that's one of those, like, wow, you know, that's, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just pick the guitar up and have it, like... It's amazing. But, but that's another reason that. why I admire him going acoustic, you know, once in a while, like he is for Under the Mediterranean Sky, because you have to use some effects, you have to step on some pedals to make this sound like some of these things. Uh, and he's obviously a master of that, was in Genesis, was out of Genesis. And then to kind of strip it down, it's like, nope, we're just going for the nylon, you know, and, and the reverberation off the guitar. That's 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 cool. Not a whole point, not a whole, uh, nowhere to hide on that. Either you can make it sound like that or you can't. There's no help. But I, I really like the fact, too, that in this day and age, you can record an entire album in your fill-in-the-blank, in your basement, in your living room, somewhere. I mean, the, the, when inspiration strikes, you can hit it you don't have to oh we gotta book the studio but nope anytime just go ahead and do it and i think that leads to stuff like this passion projects where you you don't have to convince somebody to do anything you can just just record it that's right see how it sounds so to run back to his genesis days he's there for six albums four with peter gabriel the first nursery crime they're all kind of feeling each other out right there's the, the three guys who were there Banks, Gabriel, and Rutherford, they pick up Phil Collins and Steve Hackett. Decent album. It's kind of the beginning of, of the new era of Genesis. They've really got a solid group. The next album, Foxtrot, kind of took it to the next level and had a the whole B-side, or the second side, too, of the album, 23 and a half minutes or whatever it is, is Supper's Ready. To play that one song, they did it every night, and there's changes in time signatures, and there's all sorts of intricate chord changes. And Rutherford might play the bass and the 12 string on that, you know, on the same song. He, he was, if you ever look at, because he had it with him over the years in Genesis, Hackett was the lead guitar player, but Rutherford played a lot of guitar and he played 12 string and a lot of things. So he had this odd instrument, the double-necked 12 string and bass, which not everybody has. That's a, definitely a custom piece from somebody. No yeah. doubt, yeah. And, and I think it just, it, again, like we were kind of talking about before, you really don't get the sense of how great these guys were as musicians if you only listen to the 80s stuff. They can just wail on these, on these instruments. And to, to have somebody like a Mike Rutherford who can be what I term as the swing guy, whatever mm -hmm. you need, okay, cool, I can play this, I can play that, like a John Paul Jones from Zeppelin, right. you know, just whatever you need, they, they can fill that in, that's really key. It's key, yeah, and we've talked about this a few times, growing up in America, you kind of assume, look, you like rock and roll, two guitars is kind of what rock and roll is all about. But if you replace one of the guitars with a really good keyboard organ player, I feel like it, it opens 
up a lot of what you can do because you get heavier and heavier with two guitars, then yeah, you kind of have to go the Iron Maiden, Judas Priest route, you know, more than like the Aerosmith route. But you throw that keyboard in there and I guess that's what progressive rock is all about. It's not just 12 bar blues. It's going to have some keyboard in it and maybe featuring keyboard. And sometimes they're going to have some really long songs where everybody kind of gets to do their thing. Well, and the nice part too about, now that I'm thinking about this, about having a swing person and not a dedicated utility infielder, if you will. There you go. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you have a person in the band, if you have a keyboard player in the band who is a dedicated you're going to have keyboards a lot that's just what's going to happen you got to earn but if you have somebody who can play a couple of different deals okay this one has keyboard or this one has mandolin or something else on there you know it's kind of you mix it up a little bit you don't always have the same thing all the time and then maybe that was my and i don't want to say problem with yes but i know that they like if they had a dedicated keyboardist probably the most famous was rick wakeman and they, they, it's featured a lot so it has kind of a signature yes sound where I kind of think that these Genesis songs, especially you know, in the Peter Gabriel, you really never knew what you were going to get track to track. And that's and that's the thing, yeah. When you have all five different people being able to write and contribute, you can go a lot of different directions, and that's cool. But their third album, at least the third album for the five of them, Selling England by the Pound, it's one I actually have. You know, part of the reason that we're doing this is because I miss, well, I guess I could say I miss talking with Jackson, but I still get to do that over Zoom. I miss my record collection. When you move across the ocean to a place that's about 30% of the size of the place you used to live in, you don't get to bring everything. And some of the things we didn't get to bring were my 1,500 CDs, which because there's absolutely nowhere for us to put them here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my wife kind of convinced me, look, you know, we can, we got Alexa and we can spend the extra $3.99 a month to get unlimited songs. And, you know, we, we can have your records. You just can't handle them. And I'm like, okay, good. I can still hear them. But there's nothing like physical product, holding it in your hand. I'm telling you, reading the liner notes, looking at the artwork. Um, and yeah, Selling England by the Pound is one that I have. I brought a, a book of like, you could put 200 CDs in there. I probably had 120 or something like that. Most of them were stuff I burned, a lot of Asia stuff. And you know, just, you know, just so I can bring, all right, I can't bring thousands of CDs, but I'll bring this one book. It'll give me something. And then they were packing up all our stuff. They packed really fast. And the Genesis archive, I didn't pack it with the rest of mine because I wanted to listen to it while I was packing stuff. Because I, I handpicked my CDs, man. I put them in the, my own storage locker like the the company that, that put all of our like beds and tables into like the indiana jones storage locker where the lost ark is they put it in like one of those things but like my cds i put in my own like temperature controlled like storage locker that only there's, i have the keys one, to. there's one thing in the middle it's got a spotlight on it yes yes huge airline <laughs> hangar airplane yeah. hangar you know and that's the only thing in there no i actually got a bunch of crap in there um, but but i but my cds are in there as well but they had thrown that in a box like to ship it to the to Indiana Jones land. And I just grabbed it out of there. I said, you know what? I'll just take it with me to England. So I really only brought a couple of CDs to England and that was, that was one of them. But I, yeah, I do like the, the whole experience of, you know, like you were saying, reading the liner notes. Oh, you know, who's on this? And then looking at the artwork and the, whatever, whatever they include in there, pictures of the band from the time and it's stuff in the, in the, on the insides of it. It's, that's part of the experience other than just listening to, or in a in, in addition to listening to the music. 
And this selling England by the pound, I mean, I, I listen to it now and I think, wow, it's amazing. But I also understand why I never heard it on rock radio before. The songs are like nine minutes long and they have all these yeah. different time signatures. And while they have some amazing guitar work in it and, and, and cool dancing with the moonlit night, which opens it up, it's kind of heavy in some parts. It's like some heavy guitar on there. Firth of Fifth is a really cool song. And I don't think Genesis ever stopped playing that live, even though it was just the three of them. Even on their last tour, they, they continued to do that. Um, but then you hear something like the Battle of Epping Forest, like, yeah, I, you know, I understand why, you know, you didn't have many girls at your shows when you're playing stuff like this. I mean, it's good and all, but it's like, come on, guys, you know, they fully admit that they never really, the love lyric until they did follow you, follow me on, and there, then where there were three, it was like the first time, like, hey, there's girls at the show now, you know? This is way better. Yeah. yeah the, the, the Selling Even by the Pound is definitely one of those records that you probably should have the headphones on for. That's probably the only thing you should be doing is just con and let it take you where it's going to go and really listen to what they're doing. It's not one of those you can't put it on in the background or you could, but you're going to miss a lot if yeah. you're not concentrating on what's going on. And that that is one of those cool ones with the headphones that you can hear what how it's bouncing around inside your head. Yeah, so if you guys want to start somewhere on Steve Hackett, yeah, he's got his uh, Steve Hackett live at Hammersmith, you know, selling England by the pound and Spectral Mornings. You know, though, check that out. And it comes, I've got the DVD version, so you can kind of see it as well. He's got a guy singing called Nad Sylvan who could sing like Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins. Um, he's actually pretty good. But yeah, it's, it's a way to hear some of this original Genesis stuff and to, like you say, Gary, he hasn't lost a step. He can still play everything that he ever played, and it sounds amazing. And and one of those guys who he doesn't have to be playing lightning fast arpeggios or anything like that. He's just he's like the kid who has the black belt in karate and doesn't have to go picking fights. You know, he picks it up and you're just like really, really good with that thing. You don't have to impress me. Just play and just very understated. Just a cool cat listening out there, Steve. We'd love to have you on, but <laughs> anyway, anyway, just somebody who I, I'm not. I'm, I'm being 100 serious now. Somebody we could sit here and have a conversation with about music. How do you make music? How does it come into your head and then out through the guitar or whatever instrument you're playing? You obviously, with the amount of music that he's put out, obviously it's always turning in your head. You're always thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, writing a song based on experiences that you had in your life. Tell me about that, because that is fascinating to somebody who we said would love to, but have no idea. I've got the passion, <laughs> but I don't have the skills. I don't have the connection do to my yeah. hands. And then, you know, look, a lot of people are really good at their instruments because they really don't do anything else. And, you know, when you're expected to be really good at school and expect to be really good at sports, which I kind of was because I'm a big guy, you don't have as much time for that. Like Steve Howe, I read his, his autobiography. He's like, I hated school and I hated sports, but I like music. So I just did that. I'm like, yeah, I didn't. That wasn't me. I, you know, that, there was parts of school that I liked and there's sports that I liked and you know, I had friends and it. Some people, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan wants to play for 15 straight hours in his basement and then glue, super glue back on his bleeding fingers so he can keep playing. God bless you, Stevie. I'm glad you did. I can't do that. But I'm glad you did. Uh, I'm glad for the time we had, you know. Yes. Thank you because, yeah, you added something to the world. But I think, too, that there's a difference between somebody who can play an instrument adeptly. Like, wow, that person can play anything, anywhere, anytime. That's great. 
and then somebody who can write new music. That's the the next the hump to get over. Like not only can you play the, I'm sure Steve Hackett can play anything. Throw out this, oh, oh yeah, here it is. Blah, 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 blah. But then you say, no, I'm actually composing music. That's the crazy part to me. Like wow, you you just created something no one's ever heard of. I know. You're not just playing Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. Anybody can do that. Well, yeah. Once Jimmy writes it, anyone can play Correct. it after that. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. I mean, that's the point. That's why we celebrate these artists, man, the rock and roll. Cause like I said, you just touched another human, you know, you just changed their life in some way by making this song much more. So, and look, I have great respect for artists and sculptors and painters and all the different ways that you can express, but music is the most human for me. It's rock and roll music. And even though progressive music is not what a lot of our buddies may be back home would say, man, it ain't rock and roll. It's, you, you have to grow up. Man cannot live on metal alone. And it's, exactly it's out right. there, man. And, and, and it is, it's interesting to take, to take a step outside of your comfort zone, to have somebody say, I really think you'd like this. And you listen to it. And at the beginning, you probably, oh, this isn't, this isn't metal or this isn't what I listen to. But then maybe listen to it again, maybe again. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. I like this. I like this song. I like what he's doing here. Oh, this is really cool. And then, yeah, may, I'm not saying you're not going to listen to metal ever again, but you've just discovered something new and exciting. Or you, You're not a big hard rock fan? Okay, that's fine. Let me put on UFO Strangers in the Night and just listen to the first three, four songs with me, you know. And and they're like, wow, this is really good. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've been trying to tell you, man. And, and it's more than just hard rock. When it's good, it really doesn't matter what the genre is. I mean, I'm not a huge jazz fan, but you give me some really good jazz, and I'd be like, oh, yeah. Oh, the same way. How about that? Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> and, and then you, you kind of get mad because you're like, hey, hey wait a minute. What? How come no one said this to me before? Wait, I've missed this. This came out in 1955, and I've never... What? Which so, yeah. is the way I felt about Steve Hackett when I saw that documentary. I said, why haven't I known about this guy? Why didn't anybody tell me? Why don't they play it on the radio? You know, And I had, was because I read a lot of rock magazine stuff, I was vaguely aware that there was a guy named Steve Hackett who had once been in Genesis but never was when I had any concept of them because I grew up in the MTV era. And really, there was those two or three records. I mean, Abacab came out, the self-titled Genesis record, and then, of course, Invisible Touch in 86, which was a juggernaut, sold like 16 million copies, had like five or six hit songs in America. And I think that was at the point people were really starting to get sick of Phil and Genesis because, you know, in 1980, Phil had a solo album and he had a couple of big hits. And then he went back to Genesis and they had a couple. And then he went back to solo and now he has three big hits. And then he goes back to Genesis. Oh, they have three or four big hits. Then he does another solo. Oh, he's got five on this one. Then he goes to Genesis. Now they've got six. Like, okay, enough with the Phil Collins. Oh, now he's on Miami Vice. Oh, now he's in Hook. You know, or now he's at the back door. You know, come on, Phil. We've had enough. Yeah, the Phil Collins 80s Genesis slash uh, solo stuff. Yeah, it really never ends because he did have, I mean, what did he have? He had Against All Odds. That was a huge... That was on MTV the every soundtrack. 14 yeah. seconds. That was a huge deal. Soundtrack he had song. a couple of other number one hits, and yeah, it just never stopped. Well, he was with Philip Bailey, you know, Easy Lover. How big yeah. was that, you know? Oh, yeah. Let, let's let him do a song with Eric Clapton. Oh, I wish it would rain. Oh, that shoots up the charts, you know? I mean, <laughs> anything he did, you know, it was just, it went straight into the 20s. And, and I think that's why people like, okay, enough of Genesis. And it kind of all sounds the same. And that's why, and just refreshing for me to discover there's this whole other Genesis. 
It had Peter Gabriel, who I knew, you know, from Shock the Monkey and Big Time and Sledgehammer and all that. But it, it, it kind of showed me that that Salisbury Hill song, which was kind of his, I think, I feel like it was kind of his first hit as a solo artist. Could have been, yeah. It, it's at least close. I mean, you hear him singing about, you know, pack my things, they've come to take me home. It was like he was finally getting out of high school when he left Genesis, right? Because they had that band in high school and Tony Banks and him were best friends or good buddies, you know, and Rutherford and he had been together and then they'd been together for a long time. And finally it's like, okay, do I get to get out of this? Do I finally get to grow up out of this? Because it's one thing when you're a band when you're 15 but then all of a sudden you find yourself at 24 and you're married with the kid and money and eh, am I still with that. the same gang? You know? and, and, the, and the things that you would think that were important to you back then are not anymore. And you know what? Maybe I don't, I want to do something different. I want to make it sound, well, we don't want to do that. Okay, well then we got to, we got to go our separate ways. And, and Phil Collins said something about that. He's like, sometimes people would storm off or yell at each other and then storm off and Phil would be like, have I missed something? What, you know, what just happened here? And it was because, you know, they'd been nitpicking on this thing against each other since they were, you know, in high school. And, you know, and Phil was, you know, doing something completely different or whatever. And he didn't know them back then. But it's like the little tiny things that had kind of built and built and built and built. And it was the Tony Banks and Peter Gabriel relationship that was fractured by The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Because Peter said, I'm going to write this. I'm going to write all the lyrics myself. I'm telling the story. Yes, you guys will make the music, but it's a double album. It's a concept album about a Puerto Rican kid thrust onto the streets of New York City, and I'm going to write it all. I think that rubbed Tony the wrong way. I don't think he liked that. I, I, he's, to this day, he says, I still don't like the story that much. I'm like, oh, easy there, Tony. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, and, that's, and that's another thing, too. I don't understand why you can't okay i know you didn't write it but you can't appreciate it like i didn't i didn't see it when he was doing it but you know what that's really it he came up with some cool stuff yeah and, and they all wrote the music they all wrote different parts and you know tony certainly contributed all those keyboard parts i mean but it was stressful to make all that music a double album right and it kept getting pushed back and they decided gary that they were going to play the entire thing live they were going to run through a new album a new double album an hour and a half all the way through, and they had all these accompanying videos and slides, and Peter had all these odd costume changes and weird stuff like the, that. Wasn't like one a flower or something? Oh, yeah, and, yeah, and, was... and one was the Slipper Man, which was like, I don't know if it was supposed to be a sexually transmitted disease or something like that, but he had all these like bumps and bubbles all over him. He's like, apparently, he's like, once that thing was over my head and my face, I couldn't get the mic close enough to my face to sing so whenever we did that song with the slipper man costume on he's like it was like spinal taps like if we did 60 dates three or four times everything worked right otherwise oh, you know it was something every single night that just wasn't so i think it was a hard thing to do and pull off kind of all the way through Plus, I think Peter had a, had a daughter, a, you know, and like a baby, an infant who had had some health problems. So he was off taking care of that, leaving the man behind. Then when he came back, he's like, well, you know, this is how we're doing it, that kind of stuff. So I think eventually that did lead to the breakup of the band, or at least Peter leaving and then those four carrying on. And that's got to be tough, too, when you when you take on something like that and you already have somebody who thinks, this might not be the best idea, and then you want to do an hour and a half of this performance art thing. 
what, what are we doing? This is not who we are, you know. And it delayed and the album work. so much, Gary. It delayed the album so much. By the time they played Madison Square Garden, the album still had not been released. So people could not have bought it and heard on the radio they're going to play this, so then bought it and listened to it. You might have heard a couple songs, so, but you didn't know the album at all. So you're, you're sitting there in Madison Square Garden with literally not knowing what's happening right now. I've never heard this song. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And then Tony Banks sitting there saying, I told you. I told you this was a bad idea. I told you I didn't like this. Now I'm going to be in a bad mood. <laughs> and I right. think, I don't think, I know the same thing happened with Sticks when they did that. What was the Mr. Roboto? Mr. Roboto, you know, yeah. Whatever, whatever, whatever album, that, they want to do the same thing. Like, And then you got everybody else in the band saying, this isn't who we want. This isn't what we do. What is this? So, yeah, I think, I don't know whether people get too big for their britches or what the deal is. But but on the other thing, you got to take Sometimes you got to take a shot and you might miss on it, but at least we did it and you can say we tried. And they owed a lot to Gabriel because apparently Gabriel coming out with the different masks on like he did the fox mask on Foxtrot or coming out in his wife's dress or, you know, coming out with some weird hat or makeup or shaving, you know, part of his head or, you know, (laughs) whatever it was. Colin is like the zeros started to get bigger on the paychecks once he started to do all that stuff. And Tony Banks is like... Just as well, he didn't tell us because he's like, I would sneak the stuff in so they couldn't see it. And then I would go, you know, put it on in the middle of the show or whatever so they couldn't do anything about it. Because, like, <laughs> if he had asked our permission, we would have said no. And I'm like, yeah, Tony, you you would have said no. And you would have been wrong because that's what really changed yeah. the trajectory for Genesis, turning them into a, a David Bowie and Pink Floyd kind of direction as far as the stage set up, the lights, the video, the costumes, and all that. And I think that's when that's kind of when people will started to accept and then almost expect these bigs. Like, if I'm going to do a rock show, I, I want to see a show. I don't mm-hmm. want to see just five guys playing these songs. Right. No, I want the lights and the costumes and the whole deal. I paid money for this. Come on, let's do this. And yeah. I think, I mean, even today, if you go see a big stadium show, you want to see a show. Something else has to happen. If you go to a club, okay, fine. Get up there in your jeans and rock it out. But stadium show equals fire and yeah. video screens and everything else. Video screens, all sorts of lights, design the stage, blow fire, blow smoke. You, you got to do all these different things. And they were kind of about, you know, yeah, taking it up a notch in the 70s and until Peter Gabriel left. And then it, it did change a bit, you know, because – Phil Collins isn't going to go dress up like a flower, you know, or a slipper man or anything, you know. Um, But they did have to, you know, eventually get some help on the drums, and they got Chester Thompson in. He had worked with Earth, Wind, and Fire and and Frank Zappa. You know, you got to play some strange stuff with Zappa. And he was basically in the band ever since Gabriel left because – and Phil continued to play all the drums and the records, and he would play live, but sometimes he would just be singing and Chester would be – doing his thing. Also, you know, Daryl Sterner is an amazing guitar player who came in once Steve Hackett left and has been in the band ever since. And he will be on tour with them, we hope, when they tour next year. I guess they let Chester go and, and bring Nick Collins, Phil's son, in to play the drums because yeah. he has made a couple records and been on some tours and seems to know the stuff. So a little, little, little up a tiz, but uh, that's... <laughs> You know, when I saw that the police, I saw the police idea. three times on their reunion tour, and every time the opening act was fiction playing, 
which just happened to be fronted by a kid whose last name was Sumner, as in Gordon Sumner, a.k.a. Sting's kid. Interesting. Never heard of him before, never heard of him since. But I saw him play three times that year because I saw the police three times. <laughs> Daddy, I want to be on your tour. Get your stuff and let's go. I, you know, I bet it was Don't the other way. Don't take it, mother. I bet it was the other way. I'm like, okay, boys, Stuart, Andy, I get a double share. You guys get a single share. And my son's going to be playing, and we're going to pay him $40,000 more a night than he ever got any other time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, please, sure please, we need the money. We want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sir, yes, sir. That sounds great. Absolutely. I can't wait to hear his music. Yeah. I, actually, I, I can see Baby Summers doing that, but I'm like Copeland. I, I just know Copeland's personality. He'd be like, no, no, it's a three-man band. <laughs> you know? Just can't keep his mouth shut. He couldn't just be quiet for two seconds. Apparently, he was a real pain in the butt to play with live because he used to just, you know, I'm going to do something different on this one. What's going on back there? Uh, relax. I'm just doing my own thing. Uh, he, he's referred to himself as a spoiled brat. So, yeah. That's that comes a, that's off that way. Interesting hole to go down to. Those three dudes, I don't know how that ever worked. Because how they even come together? It doesn't even make any yeah. sense that they would know each other. Correct, <laughs> correct. But I mean, when they when they were on, they were fantastic. And then when they weren't, it was crazy. So no, being able to see Steve Hackett in the front row, man, because Hackett gave me a smile a couple times. He pulls something off of the cool, and he look at me and smile. I'm like, man, this is cool, man. I'm really kind of communing with the guy here. The month of November, I was supposed to see Steve Hackett solo and Genesis reunited uh and, and you know now i don't know they genesis reset it for april and i just don't see it happening steve did re reset it for uh 2021 november and he's doing seconds out which was the live album that kind of covered the era uh that he was in and it was supposed to be this year he's selling t-shirts to help his crew seconds out they did sell out but i hope they get some more back in because i kind of want to get one because i Want to support him and definitely support the crew. Hope to goodness uh, we'd see him next year. Well, hopefully by November of 2021, we can have something in place where, I mean, maybe maybe not full capacity, but something where they could play live. Because, yeah, it's it's just, it's... It's been too long. These guys are going to starve to death if they can't mm -hmm. if they can't do something. That's and I think there are people chomping at the bit to get back into these venues and, and get back to some kind of normalcy. Absolutely. So we're we're all hoping for it. Do you do you buy records anymore? Do you just kind of stream or listen to it whenever you can? I I buy stuff every once in a while, but yeah, a lot of it's streaming, mm -hmm. and a lot of it is you know I'll hear a little, I'll hear something. It's the snippet, and then I'll, oh, well, that sounds pretty good. Let me go check that out. Because, I mean, all the stuff that I have, mm -hmm. I've listened to a million times. And not that it's bad, but every once in a while you want to hear, like we talked about at the beginning, you want to find that box up in the attic at your grandma's house. What's this? Yeah. Oh, I've never seen this before. This will give me something to do, especially now that you can't leave the freaking house. Yeah. Just staring at the same four walls. Yeah. <laughs> I still buy them because you can see these are so darn cheap this, these days. And plus, once I find someone like a Steve Hackett who I know is not just sitting back on royalties and stuff like that, why not support him? If he's going to put something out once a year, just yeah. put it on my list. You know, I'd love it if Rush had put something out once a year. I certainly would have bought that. So why wouldn't I, you know, help out Steve Hackett? So, uh, you know, the the live at Haversmith, Selling England by the Pound, and Spectral Mornings by Steve Hackett. Uh, and there is a DVD version as well. I recommend it. He, he's been good about putting out double disc sets and DVDs for like the last four or five tours. 
And the thing is, man, a lot of them have, they basically kind of look the same. So I kind of have to read them closely uh, to see which one it is because I keep buying them. But still, it's it's cool to find someone new but have so much to be able to, to go through. And, and just give you another another avenue to go down to and then appreciate something that you never had. To, again, you may have heard a little bit of it or you heard somebody say something about it at one point in time, but really get into it and get to know it is pretty cool. Well, that wraps up part two of our episode on Steve Hackett in and out of Genesis. Hey, I hope you like it. We hope for those of you who didn't know Steve or maybe old Genesis very well, this turns you on, maybe make you curious to go out there and listen to some of the albums we discussed and, and discover some of the just real jewels in those back catalogs. And if you're an old fan, well, hopefully this reignited some of your interest or your love for that music. Hey, did we get something right or get something wrong? Did we leave out one of the most important points to you? Let us know. You can follow us and tweet us on Twitter. That's at ugly underscore werewolf. And please tune in next time. After the first of the year, we will be doing a two-part episode on the Canadian Triumvirate. That's right, Rush, our very favorite band, a band I've seen the most out of any other band in my life 11 times. And we'll uh, tell stories about how Gary and I not only saw them together, but were part of the ancient ritual of camping out for tickets on a sidewalk. Yes, folks, before there was the internet or Ticketmaster.com, you had to camp out for tickets. And Rush is uh, an experience we want to share with you. And if you like this episode, maybe you like some of the others, check them all out. Check us out at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com or find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, most anywhere you download your podcast. For all of us here, hey, have a Merry Christmas, have a Happy New Year, be cool, and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.